Hello, and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Hannah and Wayne. Hey, guys, how's it going? Mav. Um, life happens. <laughs> you know, life ha- I did just get off the phone with my folks who reminded me that buying a dog adopting a dog is a big responsibility because you're because you're nine yeah i was like (laughs) i'm like i am of a certain age don't ask a woman her age i'm of a certain age age. on this episode where we're about to talk about our ages yes Uh, but yeah. yeah, no, I thought you were going to talk about your home repairs. There was a, yeah. it's like, I hope I can share this. You were complaining about having to do a home repair in our little chat room. And then you're like, but I'm almost done. And then next year I'll be done with all my home repairs. Yeah. And I could just live in my house. And I just laughed. I was like, oh, oh you poor child. <laughs> and then it's like, and, and you said, well, will it always be like this? And it's like, yeah, but it, it does get better. There are some big home repairs. So, for instance, two years ago, I replaced my entire HVAC system. That was expensive. Like we got a new heater. We got new air conditioner. We got so. So that was not a cheap repair. This last year, we repaired the ceiling. We had a cracked plaster falling apart in the kitchen. So we just got that fixed. That was relatively. I mean, it wasn't free, but, you know, some guys came in. They did it in like two hours and they were done. And I was like, sweet. So 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 there's a variation. I didn't say this, but what I meant was there's only so many things like the roof and the HVAC. Yes. That, unless there's an act of God, which with my luck, maybe that can like cost so much money. Like, okay, yeah, maybe the house will settle because it's old and I will always just be elastic patching my walls and patching mm. the paint. But like, how many times can you upgrade your electrical system, you know? Oh, so many. Um, <laughs> but, cause um, some, cause they're not all, they're not all upgrades that are, so sometimes you'll have to do stuff like, you know, something will just break and you have to fix it. Other times you'll just do like me and you'll be like, uh, but we could have smart switch in every room and then you and, right. and then your partner will go but do we need smart switches in every room and you'll say no but i've already started um and then you'll have smart switches in every room and and like that's which is what i have in my house and um to be fair they are more efficient once you install them um you save money in the long run because it makes your entire electrical system work better but you know you don't need to be able to talk to your light switches it's just that you own a house and so you want to okay actually since we are on this since we're doing hannah and mav's home improvement channel <laughs> welcome welcome to um, this old house <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do want to say getting automated blinds that move when your cat stands in front of them is a brilliant idea. She loves it. (laughs) Yes, that was a thing that I did. Well, so we've had smart blinds for uh, over a year or two. And like, so she knows, like she understands that they go up and down. I mean, blinds always go up and down, but she understands there's something that I can do to like make them go up and down because she likes sitting in that window. So she'll go in the window and if I notice her, I would always just, you know, tell, Siri to open them for her and she is happy but like she's figured out that sometimes they don't open so she climb in the window and then they won't open and then she'll climb down from the window and just come over and just start hitting me and nudging me (laughs) make the thing happen so then I'll open them and the show go back so what I've done now is I've given her own dedicated proximity sensor that tells when she's sitting in the window and if somebody is sitting in the window it's literally just the area that's in the windowsill where she sits if she's sitting in her little spot on the back of the couch 
during daylight hours, it opens the blinds like 30%, just enough for her to look out of it. And so, so that, so I posted that picture to Instagram and everybody was like, Oh, this is so cute. I want to, yeah. but yes, we installed smart stuff just for our cat. I don't know that I want to talk to things in my house unless it's like a scene out of Beauty and the Beast. They talk or sing back to me. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm but yeah. I don't do those drugs anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Talking was like where I started, but then you get to the point where you're like, well, because so this for most people, I think it's like a holodeck kind of thing. For me, it's not holodeck. It's it's Forge's house from Life, Death, a Love Story, which I fell in love with when I was a kid. When when the comic book Life, Death, a Love Story came out and Wayne read it at the X-Men comic and Forge has a magic house where he just like talks to it and he may, and <laughs> things happen and it reconfigures itself. And I, at that point, I was like, I want this to be in my house. And now it's, you know, 40 years later and I have it. And, and that's like a thing that's like sort of kind of a transition sort of <laughs> yeah we're, we're looking back over the course of our life so no one told mm-hmm. you life was gonna be this way <laughs> oh god <laughs> weird <laughs> you'll get it you'll get it in a you'll get it in 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I got it. I understand. it'll come back around <laughs> so anyway for just listeners who keep track the opening to the show i always say weekly pseudo academic roundtable pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing and i don't like i don't think you guys usually don't actually drink during the show but i usually do i usually have just a beer it's not like i get wasted but i went to go on the air today and i was setting things up and i was like okay let me go grab a beer and i am out of beer so i'm doing a very sophisticated show where i'm having cavassier today i don't even know what that is it's a cognac it's a very it's a very sophisticated drink I, that is an alcohol. Yes, I, I feel somehow fancier. Yes. So, so I, you know, I invite everyone to while we have this sophisticated conversation about culture today to have a sophisticated and worldly adult beverage of choice rather than just the 12 ounce lager that you normally do when you're listening to our podcast. You know, I am sitting uh, on a Chesterfield, so it's like a you know 19th century gentleman's club, <laughs> except it's pink. It's a pink couch. I have some pineapple coconut juice. With, it's like a pina colada without any alcohol. <laughs> do you have, do either of you have a smoking jacket? You need smoking uh, jackets. I, mean, I have a bathrobe that's very fancy. I have, I think, two smoking jackets. Because, of course I do, because... Again, like I'm the kind of person who, when I was 10, I saw a comic book about a talking house and I said, I want one of those. And then like when I was five, and this is not a joke, when I was five, I saw a TV show where there was a guy who had a globe, an old timey globe with the countries, not even the where they are anymore. But then you opened up the globe and it stored alcohol inside of that. And it was on a TV show when I was five. And I was like, I want that. And guess what I have now? I have one of those. <laughs> and I, when I got it, when Steph got it for me for my birthday, I remember this is a few years back. She got it for me and I kept saying, I've wanted this since I was five. And now I have one. I said that again on IG or Facebook or whatever. And I had a whole bunch of people respond since you were five. And I was like, yes, five. <laughs> when I was five years old, I wanted a cool place to store my liquor <laughs> because, because, because I'm worldly. <laughs> okay. so what, you're, what you're saying is pop culture shapes our lives that's right that's exactly what i'm saying good transition good transition (laughs) what sophisticated (laughs) pop culture thing are we talking about tonight pop culture shaping our life Uh, okay (laughs) sorry okay fair enough okay so the 
background here is I teach this class called Introduction to Pop Culture, which is basically a intro to cultural theory class to you know the kinds of stuff that, that I study for a living. But I teach basic cultural theory using pop culture examples. So we learn about everything from Matthew Arnold and the Levises through modern theory. Of course, because it's me, we use a lot of Roland Bart because he's one of my favorites. We, you know, we talk about it, people you've heard me mention on the show. And the way I open this class is I start with an assignment on the first day just to, you know, for them to do on the second day. They have to make a PowerPoint that is three slides and it should be the year they were born, the year they turned 12. And this ish year now, the, so right now, you know, we're recording this in January. School started like January 9th. So like I was like, OK, I don't necessarily want 2024 because the year's only eight days old. So you can't really do that. So you can do 2023, but you're supposed to do three slides with each of those years. And on each on each slide, you, you're supposed to have three to four examples of something that was big in pop culture that year and why you think it's relevant to pop culture for you. And then what they don't know is they'll be doing the same assignment again the last week of class. And then they will use everything they've learned about cultural theory and cultural analysis to sort of figure out why they think the things that were relevant. I mean, they might choose different things. It's fine. But to figure out, you know, why do these things stick in as relevant pop culture moments to me, you know, in the now, in the formative years of my, you know, my tweenness. And then in, in the year I was born, which I obviously don't, know, but like, I know them to be super fun pop culture stuff. And I was just talking about this in our chat room and Hannah said, we should do that show on that because it would be easy. And it just sounded like a fun exercise, I guess. Is that fair? Or Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think we can learn something from this. Mm -hmm. And then Wayne said, I'm too old to do this. <laughs> Which I don't think is true. No. I, think, I mean, I think it's more, you know, it's always weird when I do it in class because they're, you know, they're being 12 is long, long, like it's very much after my being 12 or they're being born. Like right now, mm -hmm. for instance, we're, this is like the last year where I'm still having at least some kids who are like, Okay, the year I was born, the big, biggest thing that happened in pop culture was 9-11. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I guess that would be it. That would be the biggest thing the year you were born. There's no other way to say it that way. But like, um, in order for the kids to say that, they have to be 22 now. They have to be essentially seniors. All the kids who are juniors, sophomores, or freshmen were born after 9-11, which is weird for me because... How can you possibly be an adult if you were born after 9-11? But they are. <laughs> and it's a very bizarre feeling. I want to assure everyone that I, who is, well, I, I guess I want to assure the two of you, I was not born after 9-11. So. Good, good. Because uh. that would make me feel really horrible about some of our past interactions if you were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. <laughs> Oh, anyway, so that's the assignment. I mean, and I don't know, do we want to work backwards or forwards? I, I guess working backwards, because like, the now is the same for everybody, right? We'll have different examples, yeah. but we've got, you know, the now is t things that are, you know, pop culturally relevant in 2024 slash 2023. Do you want to do that or? Yeah, let's yeah. Do it. yeah. I, just in thinking about this the last couple of days, though, it's harder. Maybe this is the age thing of, first of all, trying to remember, God, what was I doing when I was 12? 
It was more than mm-hmm. five years ago. Mm-hmm. It was popular. I, I, and I guess the other part of it is I, I think I read that as stuff that was pop culture then that is still meaningful to us today. And mm-hmm. that's different than stuff that we think influenced just the world and our perception of pop culture, whatever. There's a lot of the stuff from past years that are relevant to me, but I didn't necessarily get into them then. Like you said, you know, the year we were bored, mm-hmm. born, I didn't read the top novels of the year that year. Some of them I've read since. Right. So, yeah, but the one the year I'm twelve, there's a buff right in there of whatever. But yeah, okay. And to be fair, I don't really give them any more instructions than that because mm-hmm. I want them to be able to take it whichever they they want. And some of them do well because there are some of them who are like, "Look, I know it's lame, but I was really into insert band name here when I was twelve. Like yeah. that is very common for a lot of them right now. It's One Direction, and they're you know yeah. there's like and there's the sense of embarrassment for it. They're like, yeah. "Oh yeah, okay, I was really into this when I was a kid, but you know I was a kid. That's kind." of the and 20, so 20 years now happens. they'll be going to see them at some small venue someplace as they right right tour. as they're like oh it's the reunion tour right right and that's exactly it so they so there's some of that or as others of them will say you know i like i some often they'll put up like some sports stars and it's like well i wasn't really watching things right now but i you know watching sports yet when i was 12 but i know that I know that Sidney Crosby went on to become a hugely influential um, hockey player and I watch him now. So that's interesting. You know, so they'll say stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So 2024 slash 2023. Yes. I have a 2024 one that I'm just going to okay. predict. Mm-hmm. I think Wicked, the movie, is going to be big. Mm. Future, future predictions. I, it's going to be a moment. Mm-hmm. And I think it's either going to be big for being a huge success, mm-hmm. or even if it's a major flop, there's been like so many attempts for like musicals to come back since 2020, like West Side Story and The Heights. You know, Wonk has been more successful than those. Like Mean Girls, mm-hmm. there's been like controversy about it has been a musical like heard it and hiding like that in the advertising. Like I think Wicked being so big and like mm-hmm. attracting potentially so many demographics could like and by big I mean big on Broadway like could like signal you know the future of the musical in the movies. But you know what do I know? I'm just being hopeful because well we'll get to that box office game. <laughs> also, because you no. it, it, well you want to see the movie because it's something that you have clearly been looking forward to. Yeah, and we can talk about that more later. But um, it, you know, it's like this movie has like been in development hell since I was a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> so, so this is going to be big for Hannah either way. Fair enough. I can do one of mine, which was for the year 2024 because, I was, because it happened you know, I was just dealing with this, you know, arguing about it online yesterday, but also it really happened in 2023. I picked Barbie, just the whole Barbie thing. Yeah. And I, I was thinking <laughs> yeah. thing, absolutely that the whole Barbie Oppenheimer thing last year being mm-hmm. such a huge. Well, the whole Barbie Oppenheimer thing and then tied into as we record, there's controversy TM where people are upset because Barbie did not get as many nominations at the Oscars as they wanted it to these are people who largely don't watch the oscars anyway and you know we'll do an oscar show like we do every year but if you've listened to one of our oscar shows before you've heard me give you know version to this rant before which is i don't think the oscars do what people want them to do the oscars are about the opinions of a bunch of old kaji culturally elite people that's what they're supposed to be if you're looking for the movies that like show what the people love 
That's called the People's Choice Awards, and they're different events. And the People's Choice Awards are coming up in two weeks. And I assure you, Barbie will clean up. Barbie's going to win a lot of People's Choice Awards. And if you look back at the last 15 People's Choice Awards, a lot of Marvel movies in there because that's how the People's Choice Awards work. So, like, yeah, Barbie's going to do really well at People's Choice, but it's not. I understand why it didn't do well at the Oscars. And when you're complaining about that, you're essentially complaining, well, how come the old white men don't like the movies that I want them to like? Um, you know, you should like my movies. And it's like, well, no, I mean, you could just not care. Hannah stopped caring about the Oscars and, it, and you feel better for it, don't you? Yeah. Although sometimes <laughs> I come back and get excited about things like everything, mm-hmm. everywhere all at once. So oops. anyway, I think Barbie and Barbie by itself, even with the controversy, I think having the controversy is actually help healthy because I think it's good for people to be invested in discussions of culture, even if they don't necessarily have the tools to talk about it in as as elaborate and nuanced a way as I would prefer. I think it's good that people are at least thinking about it. And I think it's good that people are in some way magically invested in a world with a feminist manifesto wrapped around a toy commercial and a weird dad movie about the atomic bomb. <laughs> <laughs> that's odd. Yeah. So and the, and yeah. The whole synergy that that, that produced, that's probably top on my list for the last year of pop culturally relevant in a big way. Something that just really stepped over the boundaries of conversations that people typically have and, and bound it mm-hmm. made its way into other people's conversation. It's hard for me to put in perspective, really the, you know, what is big, what is pop culturally relevant in the moment mm-hmm. while we're living it. I mean, that, that was an obvious one. And meanwhile, you know, people are the Barbie thing, the controversy over Argo and Greta not getting nominated and whatever. And that's a, a different mm-hmm. show. But I just want to point out it's been like, 70 years and it's the first time godzilla's gotten a nomination yeah, I, so, so you're saying godzilla is is your pop culture moment of 2023 20, maybe you know uh, it's kind of the, the godzilla minus one of it all i think is an interesting as far as pop culture moments go i you know i i also have the hardest time with the modern uh, with yeah. you know the 24 24 the 2023 that's the hardest category for me for my students it, it appears to be the easiest because they're just like well here's the things that i like right now yeah. but i am so bad at deciding what I like right now yeah. or what I care about now. Um, yeah, so. I mean, yeah, there, there's the bands I'm listening to now and, and whatever, mm-hmm. but you know, are they pop culturally relevant? I, it's hard to say. I saw it on one of these pages, one of the tabs I have opened just back and it's like man of the year in 1973 and I'd never heard tell of him. You know, I'm his man of the year. Okay. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so how important mm-hmm. was that then, you know? <laughs> but yeah, I, and we're going to do an episode on Godzilla and Kaiju and fully mm-hmm. more about that. And, but yeah, I do find it interesting that movie typically seems to have gotten a lot of buzz and a, a lot of interest phase that previous ones hadn't. You know, in terms of pop music, you know what I, as much as I listen to music, I'm certainly aware of big names, you know, Harry Styles and whoever, mm-hmm. but I, like, I don't know who hit this, the Taylor Swift right now, the, the whole Taylor Swift yes. thing in terms of music, the number of seats she's selling or being involved with some football guy whose name I don't remember because I don't pay that much. Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Um, I mean, that just, that's kind of everywhere. And that, crossover mm-hmm. of sports pop culture and music pop culture right and kind of fascinating though so i'm obviously not paying that much attention but 
It's more of, I'm not paying that much attention to the actual relationship aspect of it. I find it fascinating how much that's showing up in my feed and all news and people talking about it and all that sort of thing. So I, I think that's very definitely a big pop culture moment right now. I find the Taylor Swift of it all interesting. Um, I'm not a big fan. She's fine. I, I have nothing against Taylor Swift. I'm not mm-hmm. the old guy going, ah, it's crap because it's not my music. Right. It, you right. know, yeah, it's, same here. It's, it's not my music, but I also have listened to her and she's certainly talented and sometimes she's catchy and I'm like, Oh yeah, you got something going there. Shake it off. Shake it off. Yeah, I get, I get it. Right. So, so, you know, like I, so that's not why she's interesting to me. She's interesting to me because she's fucking Elvis. Like yeah. she is the Beatles. She is yeah. bigger than God right now. Like, and to have anyone reach that level of pop culture relevance. And I've said this before. And then other old people will be like, well, no, she's not, you know, let's see if she maintains relevance in 10 years. She's mm-hmm. already been around for 10 years and yeah. she already has. And like what you don't realize is it's weird because we view them as greater in retrospect. Mm-hmm. But the heyday of the Beatles is like 10 years. Yeah. Like there's a there's there's a legend that grows after that that maintained. And mm-hmm. I think she'll have one of those. But like it's not that long a period. I think I think it's slightly longer than 10. You Do you remember? Yeah. It's not long. It's you know, they went up. They went their separate ways and they had their own stuff. Yeah. To do. Yeah. I mean, they started coming together in like John and Paul met each other and like or something. It was like 61 before an album music started coming out. It was 64. Mm-hmm. And they made their appearance on the Beatles, which was the thing that broke them to the world. You know, crazy popularity. Sullivan. And by 70, Sullivan. yeah, Sullivan in 1964. Yeah. And uh, they broke up in 1970, I believe. Yeah, you know, it was less than 10 years of global consciousness. About the Beatles. Wikipedia lists them being active from 1960 to 1970. Okay. So for exactly I, 10 years. I, I read, I was reminded of this and I looked it up because I blogged about this. Show. I read a book several years ago by Chuck Klosterman, a collection of essays called, But What If We're Wrong? And it addresses the idea that in the future, everything we think we know about the present will be wrong. And the examples he gives are mm-hmm. things like that. You know, in a thousand years when people, historians are reading about the 20th century, talking about the 20th gonna century, Shakespeare. who's going to be the Shakespeare? Will the Beatles be remembered? Mm-hmm. We think so. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. maybe not. And he makes a good point for going back to history, things that seemed huge to the people at the time who were writing. If you go back to the historical record, stuff that was being written about in 978 AD that nobody today knows about. We know about other things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think right. that's true. It's hard in our moment to be aware of what's really popular and what's going to last. I and mean, we're aware of what's really popular. We have no idea what kind of impact it's going to have over the long haul. And, and part of the blog I wrote at the time, and, and this was several years ago, and I, I fully admit that, that some of the things I was wrong in, it is more me asking the question than making a, a statement. But I, I was saying that for music stars in particular, I just, I argued that I didn't know if it was possible for the music industry to produce another Beatles or Madonna or Springsteen or Michael Jackson or Prince or someone of that level, simply because the infrastructure of the music industry was different, that, you know, because of streaming sure. and et cetera, all that stuff that you know, they don't work on they don't give artists a chance to become stars first three kiss mm-hmm. albums nobody gave a shit about they released three albums in a year and a half and nobody cared but you right. know the record company kept letting them produce albums so my second one aside from that was was just polit- politics in general you know this is I, I i think that the biggest thing in pop culture for the year 2024 to me 
I don't think it's escapable. I think it will be Trump versus Biden. Like it's just and frankly, Trump by himself. Right. Like no matter how it turns out, no matter how things go in November, I think the fact that we are having a man running for and having a very real shot at the presidency of the United States while actively also being tried for a felony by the by the United States <laughs> or for a felony for 91 felonies <laughs> you yeah. know like you know, like like it it's it's a am- it's amazing that this has been allowed to happen and i think that is as culturally relevant as you can possibly be and i mean like honestly we can't get away from talking about palestine when it comes to politics and how that's mm-hmm. going to shape the presidential election and how it's shaping pop culture like for example mm-hmm. you know some hollywood stars like melissa barrera who was the star of scream five and six was fired and falsely accused as some reporters have put it of anti-semitism for her support of palestine mm-hmm. and so like that conversation will continue to shape how mm-hmm. biden's presidency and his campaign are like like many protesters have like you know shown up mm. in his rallies already as he's run for re-election like in south carolina um and you know he yeah. has lost support like mm-hmm. he just has like if you look at the polls he and it's, you know a great majority of this country supports a ceasefire so mm-hmm. and yeah. i will i mean i'm going to be very careful in the way that i state this because i don't want to have to edit it out of the show i we have not talked about it a lot on our show because it is such a hot topic issue that it is it is problematic to talk about it publicly given the careers that some of us have and in to pick either side of that issue and so it's hard i will say i work at a university and what i find fascinating when i watch the news and people talk about the palestine israel issue or when I listen to just people talking about it online on, you know, on your Twitters and your Facebooks and your not so much on IG, but your threads and your blue skies when people are just tweeting about it. And, and however, I think people unilaterally think that the answers here are easy and everybody agrees with them or most people agree with them, whether they are supporting Israel or, or Palestine or a mix of the two. And I can tell you as someone who lives on a university campus most of the time, I mean, I live at home, but like I spend so much of my time on a university campus. This is not a clear cut issue. And when the when they had that congressional hearing and they had the three university presidents who said it's not easy, we can't just say unilaterally one way to feel this way or that way. That's because that's true. We can't say one way to feel that this way or that way. It's hard and it's complicated and it's weird because I want to be able to talk about it because it's the biggest thing in pop culture. And I'm not comfortable with it beyond the vaguenesses that I've just given. And I assume you feel the same way, Hannah. Yeah, I will say that one thing that is clear cut to me is that genocide is wrong. And therefore, (laughs) I think that the majority of this country recognizes that. And that is why there are calls for a ceasefire. And I do think it is brave of people like Melissa Barrera to, to, you know, say what they've said because, you know, she has like lost her career. And I'm she's not, a, she's or, lost. Her sorry, let me, she, yeah. yeah, let me rephrase that. She did lose like her role in Scream 7 because mm-hmm. I don't want to say she's lost her career because that's not true. She like mm-hmm. she put her career on the line and lost a role for it. She's lost a career making things. You know, Jenna Ortega 
walking away from that movie and she says it's not over this. She said she was going to leave anyway and maybe she wasn't. But the difference is Jenna Ortega is the it girl of Hollywood right now. I'm fairly certain saying Jenna's going to be all right. You know, she's got, you know, between Wednesday and also just every, you know, she's I'm going to say hot because I don't have a better adjective, but I don't mean I don't mean attractive hot, though. She's also very attractive. But like between the way she looks and her talent and just her general charisma the world is her oyster at this moment. And so she should absolutely go and strike and get every piece of Hollywood that she can while she's the most important person in Hollywood. Cause that doesn't last long. I mean, unless you're lucky and I, I don't know, like you become Tom Cruise or somebody who, who somehow becomes the it boy for decades for most people just get like a year or two where you are king of the world. And then, you know, and it burns out. So Jenna Ortega, I understand why she walked away. Melissa Barrera didn't have that. She had Scream. So, you know, losing that is a big deal. She's now going to be in Untitled Universal Monsters movie, which I know has a title now. What's it called? Dracula's Daughter? Abigail. 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 Well, actually, speaking of politics, but on a different vein, I think that a huge pop cultural moment in 2023 was, of course, the writer and actor strikes. And and alongside of that, all the other unions that formed, like several graduate student unions, won their Mm -hmm. elections. There was like, you know, the UAW stuff like and in in 2024, we're going to continue to see labor unions, whether they strike or not, take a big Mm -hmm. role in like how workers you know, show their collective power. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've, I'm obviously I'm, I mean, I don't know if I've ever talked about it, but I'm part of I'm, I'm part of USW United Steelworkers Union, but it, that's who runs the union, the teachers union for Pitt. And Monica is part of UAW. Monica is a big part of UAW. She does a lot of archival work and stuff, for, but that's who runs the grad student union at UCLA. So, um, so. We're obviously, and Hannah, you organized, you were, you and Katya were organizers for Duke's grad student, as I understand. Back in the day, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, anytime, you know, people come together for collective bargaining and worker solidarity, that's an exciting thing. And I, it was, it was very exciting to see how the writers and actors held on this time. And, and and like we, you know, we did whole shows supporting them, which where, where we, if you did not listen to those, that show in particular, the show where we had like an actor and a writer like members mm-hmm. of the guilds on it's still i think a very good show to like really understand like what was happening in that moment so worth a listen and you know well there will continue to be negotiations in hollywood as time goes on so we'll <laughs> see like else. yeah we'll see how these contracts like have a, go- a growing impact in the future because like for example even like recently i've seen like conversations on twitter about like how the ai stuff in the actor's contract was not perfect and like mm-hmm. how it was really important for actors to understand the nuances of like what mm-hmm. was put into that contract and i was gonna say that's my next thing is the the explosion of ai in pop culture consciousness not just pop culture but just in everyday person and the ramifications of what that yeah. i mean i think that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest pop culture stories of the year in terms I didn't of even think about that yeah it's, it's like it's weird because i deal with it every day which yeah. is why and we talked about it last i mean it was, it was last week's episode was yeah. talking about yeah. George Carlin special, but because AI is such a big part of my everyday life at the school, mm-hmm. I, I didn't even think to call it pop culture. It's like, oh, this hasn't always been here. I forgot. Yeah, like, <laughs> like this time last year, nobody was talking about it, but 
it was a part yeah. of that. The strikes, all the controversy mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. using it, whether it's for papers or writing, fakes, mm-hmm. all the stuff. And I, we're going to be seeing that shake. We out talked for, about it. Yeah, we're we going to be seeing that shake up for a while. I've really been talking about doing, it for a while, but again, my job. Was, was it really yeah. us doing the f- deep fakes episode, though? Was it? Yeah. Uh, I, well, yeah. Well, like, yeah, like because we're seeing like people get like robocalls now of mm-hmm. like AI voice Biden. imitation mm-hmm. and Biden. Yeah. yeah, and like apparently a recent study came out that was shared with me recently that it actually is not cheaper overall to replace workers with AI right not now. Right now at least. It's not- but like we we did see articles about people who, you know, were impacted by like chat GPT because like people apparently don't care about the quality of the work necessarily. But if you can save a quick buck, you can have chat GPT write you something. And then there are all mm-hmm. these copyright cases about mm-hmm. how OpenAI, you know, took stuff that is like from the New York Times and different like writers and so on. And we're going to end up seeing, you know, how that goes, too. Yeah, I, yeah. I very much encourage you to listen to last week's show, which which obviously Anna and Wayne haven't had a chance to and record the schedule, but like you can. And we talked extensively about this last week. So, yes. Review of, well, this is an impact. Yeah. This is an impact. Yep. Um, my last modern thing is probably, well, I, I won't say it's relevant only to me. I think it's a pop cultural thing, but it's just sort of a, it, this is, um, this is a, a pick for a personal reason, which is, I, you know, I don't, you know, usually when we talk about pop culture and we talk about games, about video games, I should say, that's usually Katya's thing. But like, there's a game that I'm addicted to lately that I've just been playing a lot. And it didn't exactly come out last year or anything. It's actually, and I've had it for more than a year, but it's just, it's a game that I am so much invested in and I don't know if it's ever going to stop. So my, my, my current pop culture moment video game is Beat Saber. Beat Saber is the best thing that's ever happened. <laughs> I Have either of you ever played? No. No. You, you know, oh, do you know what it is? No. No. Uh, oh, okay. So Beat Saber came out in 2019. That's a few years old, like I said. It is a uh, you need a VR system. Pretty much all of them work. I have the Oculus Quest, or it's actually not called the Oculus anymore because Facebook bought them. But I have the Quest 2. It's on PlayStation VR. I think it's on whatever Xbox calls their thing. There's HTC Viva has it. Like, so there are lots of VR systems. You have to have a VR system in order to have it. But the game is you are standing in a blank cyberscape holodeck kind of thing. And you know the so it's essentially a beat matching game like Dance Dance Revolution or Guitar Hero or something. If you've played Guitar Hero, you understand the concept. You know how in Guitar Hero the notes come at you and you're supposed to strum the right guitar button as mm-hmm. the note comes at you. Well, this instead of that, instead of the notes coming at you and strumming the right guitar button, you have the notes coming at you and you swing the lightsaber in your right hand or the right lightsaber in your left hand in the right direction, and you are to cut the notes as they come at you in the right direction as they play, you know, as the song plays. So basically, you have two lightsabers, and you, or beat sabers, because, you know, they can't call them lightsabers, but they're lightsabers. You have a lightsaber in each hand, and then there's a song playing, and it'll either be the red hand, which is your left hand, sliced to the left, or the red hand slice up or right and then or the right hand will be there and you have to move and you have to like basically 
catch notes as they're coming towards you and slice them in half and destroy them for the duration of the song. And like, you know, you can combo and the more you can combo notes together, the better your score. And and this is for Wayne, because like literally I'm going to say this and we're going to stop the episode because Wayne's going to be on his way over to my house. There's an expansion <laughs> pack. It's all Queen music. <laughs> and it's amazing. <laughs> and, and I, and I, I love this game. Like, it's been out for like four years, so it's not so it's not necessarily new. It's not the hottest video game. But as far as I'm concerned, it's the best video game that's ever happened because I have two lightsabers. That's the game. I feel like I would fail at this game and be sad about it. But it's, I'm just not good at like going in the right direction in games. Like I wasn't allowed to play video games to like middle school, really. And so like the few times I like got a controller at like a sleepover or something in elementary mm-hmm. school, I instantly died. Like ah. instant, like I, everyone loved it when it was my turn. Cause it was immediately someone else's turn after, <laughs> you know, these aren't classic controllers because it's not like, I mean, if you, if you look at it, you're swinging your arms around, you're holding a lightsaber in each hand and you're like, it, like it feels like you're really there. It's great. So well, you'd love it, Hannah, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you're good or bad. What matters is that you have a lightsaber in each hand. That is fair. <laughs> I did actually have one more personal thing, and it's mostly because I want to talk to Wayne about this. Okay. In our Things You Missed show, you mentioned the Muppets Mayhem Disney Plus show as like mm-hmm. a thing like everyone missed, including me, who's obsessed with the Muppets. And for Christmas, Josh like didn't mean to buy this, but he was like stopping by target for something christmas eve and he saw it in the vinyl section like the muppets mayhem like on vinyl soundtrack Uh. and he thought and it it came in like you know kermit green and he was like this is something hannah should have and he bought it and then he listened to it and like he was like oh my god this pops this is like really good this is like (laughs) this is you know like this is amazing and it is like it's really good and i've listened to the soundtrack a number of times and watching the show yeah so so really i just want to say like yeah wayne this pops (laughs) (laughs) of great pop cultural importance (laughs) i mean yes it was to me and the muppets are like i know that like they aren't the most popular thing anymore but the muppets yeah, and it's being an older guy who, who grew up with the Muppet Show in the seventies and saw the Muppet movie. It was a first date for me and somebody, which says something about my sense of romance. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm also they do a really good job. But there's the uh, what's the song? Uh, Can you picture that? Which was the song that was in yeah. the Muppet movie, and they do a new take mm-hmm. on it. And I'm mm-hmm. just enough aware that it's different people doing the voices. It, mm. does, it doesn't ruin it for me, but I'm aware like that. That's the original Floyd, is it? You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of the Muppet show, Josh knew that he had picked out apparently the right thing to give me for Christmas because Christmas Eve, Mary was like, my sister was like, I'd never seen the Muppet show. And I was like, well, this cannot stand. We will watch the first episode and you will learn the origin of Menomina. Never seen the Muppet show. Wow. No. Uh, well, and okay, no. so this is going to take us well, back to the younger days. Yeah. This is a nice transition. Yeah. Or do we want to do the 12 year old? Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's jump back. I guess Hannah's 12 year olds is the most recent. So you want to go? All right. Okay. So, so I said we were going to come back to it. Wicked the Musical hmm. premiered when I was 12. I didn't get to go see it until I was 18 because tickets were it's super expensive. expensive. Yeah. But yes. I had the CD. I tried to read the book. I was too young for the book. I backed away slowly from the book. Um, 
if you've read the book, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I have the book, yeah. Yeah. I, it was for an older Hannah. But like, you know, like, I loved this musical. And as someone who grew up in an evangelical culture, and like, if you voted for anyone who is not George Bush, you were a bad person to a lot of people I grew up with feeling different and wanting to like ask questions about politics that don't seem quite right and being ostracized for like trying to stand up for what you think is right when everyone around you thinks that you're like totally off base like wicked really spoke to me when i was 12 i was like this is so deep it gets me yes i am defying gravity yeah so so Wicked is one. Simultaneously, the Lizzie McGuire movie. Oh, okay. McGuire was huge. My sister and I loved it. In fact, when we went to Italy many years later, we made Josh do the Lizzie McGuire tour and like take pictures of us like making wishes in the Trevi Fountain. We still listen to like, this is what dreams are made of. I was so excited when they were going to do a Lizzie McGuire reboot. And now in hindsight, I'm like, well, maybe it's for the best because like 12, 13 year old me was like Lizzie and Gordo are forever. And that's apparently not how the reboot was going to go. But what was it? like Hilary Duff was like a such a huge fashion icon for girls of a certain age at the time her first CD was the first CD I ever bought for myself listened to it on my portable CD player it Mm -hmm. was a good time and then also Friends' final season premiered so I told you we'd go back to I'll be there for you (laughs) and like if you watch the show all in a row it's just weird to see how like life changed so much from like 1994 to like 2004 but I didn't even watch Friends at the time because my mother didn't like it and thought it was vulgar but really? i just remember like uh. yeah which is funny because like we watched the nanny so much and i feel really? like they have like the same like since you uh, yeah that's fascinating i've told the stories about how like as a kid you know like i knew i had to be pro-union because oh, yeah i know but you know. i just like the fact that she was uh, she was okay with the nanny and not like i don't yeah and it's been a while know. since i've watched either all the way through but in my brain the nanny is not significantly and in fact yeah some ways it's probably more sexual than friends yeah i don't know what to tell you yeah, part, so personal anecdote my my first memory of the word vulgar was my grandmother using it to describe tina turner on some variety show in the late 60s or early 70s so. oh that's fair yeah no Again, that, that's absolutely huge tina fan, fan. yeah ab- absolutely <laughs> but fair. i get it <laughs> but for some reason like that's my association with the word vulgar like that's the first time i ever heard that i don't quite think i knew what she yes at the time but i i, I <laughs> put it together <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. yeah. but so i wasn't allowed to watch friends but and i've since remedied that by a lot <laughs> what i watch when i get super depressed but like i just remember like all the newsstands are like will ross and rachel end up together and i was like who is that <laughs> wow that's weird you wouldn't yeah okay yeah you wouldn't know okay that's a that's an odd thing and i did not know if they got together or not until i finished the series in college when i binged it you know the, so those are my post 9-11 pop culture <laughs> examples from when i was 12-ish okay so i turned 12 in the year 1986. So these are things that are roughly 86 to 87 that were either 12 year old me was fascinated by, or I feel like they bear importance for cultural relevancy. And one, I like, so the, I wanted to pick a movie and the movie that I was going for was the one that seemed like I thought, what was I very into at that point? And one came to mind immediately. And that was Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which was just a huge film in 1986. And 
to me, I think it like sort of says a lot about my sense of humor. It's, you know, it's sort of at age 12. I mean, they're like 16, 17 in the movie. But for a 12 year old, it's very transgressive. It sort of gives you a, oh, this is a kind of open defiance to authority that I can have. It's got a sense of adult humor that is not too adult for you to get when you're 12 years old. So like it was super relevant to me. And I think that it became a cultural touchstone as far as what teen movies would become over the rest of the 80s and into the 90s. And also just for me as a person who became, you know, a scholar of cultural studies, particularly with, if you know my work, and we talk about more of my stuff with comics on, on this show, but I do a lot of stuff with youth culture. So Ferris Bueller is like formative to me. And then what I didn't realize until um, I was actually look, do, looking things up, also the movie Top Gun came out that year. Which, oh, yeah. You know, oh, well, that was a huge movie. And that's odd because Top Gun also, you know, coming back with Top Gun Maverick a couple of, you know, a couple of years ago. So, so like that seemed to be um, relevant to me as far as a, hey, this, these are interesting things. And I think Top Gun says a lot about, aside from the fact that we share a last name, well, actually his name's not, his last name's Mitchell in the movie, but like aside from the name Maverick, I think Top Gun says a lot about like the ways in which I analyze pop culture today and look at like you know queerness and and weird masculinity takes on masculinity and homosexuality which is a and i said homo not homo it's a whole thing that like is not talked about a lot but it's it is an important cultural theory to me so so that was those were the films music i the i went back and forth between two groups here which both defined my 1986 and and if I were w- willing to extend it to be in 1987, I'd add a third group. But those groups are 86 had Raising Hell by Run DMC, Hot, Cool and Vicious by Salt and Peppa, And then in 87, you got Bigger and Deffer by LL Cool J. And these are three of my absolute favorite albums from that year. Just like now, probably test of time. I'd say Raising Hell is probably the most important because that's the one that has Run DMC's cover of Walk This Way with Aerosmith, um, um, which I think just became a huge song and sort of a redefined how hip hop works. And because of the fusion with rock with Aerosmith, I'd argue essentially legitimizes it for white audiences and therefore makes hip hop culturally relevant in a way that maintains till today more so than like grandmaster flash's fourth album came out that year and and i if you're a hip-hop scholar or hip-hop fan that might be relevant but as just far as popular culture i think raising hell is probably one of the most important albums of all time and then my last one is just sort of sad the year i turned 12 1986 in january that's the Challenger disaster. And that was one of the most, I was a huge space fan. So I watched that live on television. It was a snow day in Cleveland, Ohio or in Lorraine, Ohio. So I didn't have to go to school. So I got to watch that on TV and I got to go and I got to be excited about it because I was like that kid who does a report on space for like their sixth grade, you know, independent study project. You know, I did like my whole thing on the space shuttle and about how it was the safest form of space travel and about like how great. And then like and I did that in like, you know, late November, early December. And then January comes around and kaboom. It's like, oh, shit. That was like my first experience with that as a thing. So I, to me, not a fun pop culture, but it was pop culture. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't mention all the comic stuff in 96, the greatest year in comics ever. It is the greatest year in comics ever. But like I. But it didn't feel like the things that like 
Yeah, I guess I mean, I mean, in I terms mean, of larger pop culture, no. Yeah, but in our personal mm-hmm. world, it felt like personally relevant. Like, yeah. So for so, people who aren't listening, I assume you're you're pointing eighty six starting in eighty five, but yeah, the year right. nineteen eighty six is the year of Watchmen, the year of Crisis, the year of Secret Wars. Dark yeah, Knight Returns, arguably. Yeah. Dark Knight Returns. It is yeah, as far as superhero comics go, especially, but also and it's leading into in raw. Yes. It's yes, it, exactly. It's leading into an, uh, an explosion of independent comics. So it is eighty six is the year that the Bronze Age of comics transitions into the modern age of comics. Yeah, but I, I mean, I mean, I know that you guys find that personally relevant, but I think it's also I don't think it's like as big as the, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily as big as like some of the other stuff you mentioned, but I will say that like if you're talking about like events that you know you don't know the impact of until later like you know in 86 no one i assume knew that an entire like explosion of superhero film would just like go dark and gritty yeah yeah like like like, 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 yeah like like you know like the nolan movies the batman the snyder verse like watchmen of course and like i i think like every i mean there, there's someone who knows Zack snyder better than me probably in fact in this recording and will tell me i'm wrong but i think Zack snyder in particular was influenced by like the work of 86 because like you know he, mm-hmm. he said like the only thing he'll come back to direct is like uh, an adaptation of like the dark knight returns and unless i've completely botched that well, in which case i'm very sorry Zack snyder no, and good reasons um, i mean <laughs> i don't understand that but i like snyder but, a lot we've talked about it on the show but not he doesn't need to do any more of those but you know i i think i mean i think we all here agree that Snyder's superhero movies are not great, but they definitely influence the fact that the DC universe is in a crisis. And yeah, maybe there's some superhero fatigue, but there's a reason. I'm very funny. So... So yeah, 86 comics. It was a thing. It it still matters now. It's funny because you you mentioned that, but like 1986 in comics, and then you talk about like how influential it came. I just want to point out Superman four quest for peace comes out in 1987. So if you don't understand where superhero movies were yeah, <laughs> like compared right. to, yeah, like that, that was that, the state of superhero yeah. cinema was Superman yeah. for a quest for peace. Yeah. I mean, and, it wasn't and that, even out yet. Yeah, And the influence of that, of the comic stuff. And while you know, those of us who were there, it was obvious in the long time for that to play out other places. Yeah. So those are my 12 year old things. So Wayne, tell us about your childhood. So I'm roughly 12 <laughs> years older than Mav. We didn't plan this, but that works. So I turned 12 mm-hmm. in the summer of 73 so overlapping with 74 and yeah i wasn't even thinking like just you talking right now the historical stuff because i'm thinking i was approaching this more on the the personal level of pop culture stuff but the biggest new story of that era was watergate and nixon mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean that was the background they saw in the news every day of the watergate scandal nixon resigned in 74 and it will be on my list yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so so that's uh, yeah, that, I wasn't even thinking of that till right now. Because I say I was thinking more personal pop culture kind of thing. That was certainly the historical one. Let me go. Let me personally, comic stuff. That's the year Gwen Stacy died. So you know, that's one of the books that that people talk about. Theorized as one of the ends of age and beginning of the Bronze Age or things before that. that I think you know more so, but that's definitely one of them. I was gonna say thank you for. I could not find a way to work Spider Man <laughs> into my list. <laughs> So thank you for this gift. I will say the day when Stacy died is I, I think there are lots of things. I mean, okay, 
for the short way of putting this, the long way of putting this is like literally chapter three of my dissertation. But the short way of putting this is I think there are a lot of things that signified the end of the Bronze Age and the beginning of the Silver Age or the end of the Silver Age and the beginning of the Bronze Age. However, I think that Gwen Stacy's death is relevant because it is a very definitive, specific moment of, look, we are killing off the simple way. Like the fact that they killed Spider-Man's girlfriend. Yeah. Like for realsies was a huge Huge. deal at that time in a way that like everything, not a hoax, not a dream. Because usually when a comic book in the Silver Age says, not a hoax, not a dream, it is a hoax or a dream. Yes. And, right. Yeah. <laughs> you exactly. know, or, I mean, it might not be a hoax or a dream, but it doesn't actually affect the status quo. Not a hoax, not laugh. a dream. In this issue, Superman kills Lois Lane. No, he doesn't. Right. You know, no, he does not. This is not, it is, it, there, there is extenuated yeah. circumstances. When the day Gwen Stacy died, she was dead. Oh, okay. Well, that's something. And there were earlier things, even mm-hmm. in Spider-Man, there was like the drug a, issue. a year earlier, the drug issue would happen, yeah. right? Or two years mm-hmm. earlier. So like it, so, but like the, but the Gwen Stacy, they threw her off a bridge and broke her neck. Mm-hmm. That's dark. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, 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 many years later, it traumatized me as a child reading <laughs> that comic. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of music, that was, I mean, that was very much, I'm looking at the Billboard year-end hot singles of 74 and 73, and wow, that's the year that just I became a music fan, isn't it? I had a bunch of these singles. It's also the year, it's the second and third Queen albums came out that year. First Kiss album came out that year. Always Diamond Dogs and the single Rebel came out in 74, and that's the early single I had. Just the list of significant albums that came out in 73, 74, significant rock albums that have a, a place in history. It's an amazing list, a lot of which are still on my list of things I listen to on a fairly regular basis. And that's certainly mm-hmm. Alice Cooper's Billion Dollar Babies album, which was one of the highest grossing tours of the year. Led Zeppelin's Houses of the Holy, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, Quadrophenia, Stevie Wonder's, Wonder's Inner Vision. It just, it's an amazing list of me. Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Looking for the list here. Al Green's mm-hmm. Call Me, uh, Elton's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Um, mm-hmm. Just, uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the list of what came out that year, and there are a tremendous number of really classic albums on it. I didn't hear all of them then. I did hear a lot of them. I heard a lot of the singles from this stuff. But yeah, 73, 74, I turned 12. And while I've been listening to music through the radio and whatnot, those are the years that I became the me everybody knows now as a music fan. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So that's oh, and movies. I don't know how much of a cultural impact this was. I saw this in a the theater at the time. Young Frankenstein came out that year. I almost put that down. Okay, yeah. nice. But, okay. Yeah. Well, also the so, Exorcist, the High Plains Drifter, The Sting, American Graffiti. I mean, once again, all these movies that have lasting relevance. That that talking film, popular film, things that had an impact on the way we think of movies, the way movies are made. Called Paper Moon TV and loved it at the time. Westworld, which you know, we had an HBO reboot of a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So if you want to read a lot of stuff. So because of the convenience factor of the fact that Wayne's, you know, 12 and a half years older than I am, we can reverse the order and I can go next because it's literally going to be the same. Like <laughs> sure. you know, technically 12 years old is 73 for you. And the year I'm born is 74. 
but I pick mine as things that happened in 73 or 74. Mm -hmm. And because you mentioned intervisions with um, Stevie Wonder, I will also point out that specifically he also won the Grammy for Superstition, yeah. one of his best songs yeah, ever. And that's that on year, the singles yeah. year that I was born. Yeah. Stevie is relevant because yeah. in the 70s, he was Taylor Swift. Yes. Stevie won every award, every Grammy for like four or five straight years. There's a point where someone, I want to say it's Paul Simon gives a Grammy speech when he wins, like, I think it's Paul Simon wins like album of the year or something like that. And he, or maybe it's male recording artist of the year. He wins some Grammy award famously. And he walks to the, to the, to the podium and he says, you know, I'd like to thank my mother and my father. I'd like to thank my manager. And I'd like to thank Stevie wonder for not putting out an album this year and giving me a chance to win. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's just like, wow. Yeah. He was that dominant. Yeah. And I'm conversational with Dave at the, the store a number of years ago, just in the 70s, just if you wonder, and Elton John, I don't know if he was winning all the awards, but two of them put out collectively you know, 10 albums in a row of just nearly perfect mm -hmm. albums. Just, yeah, mm -hmm. just you know, one one tremendous album after another. Yeah, kind of an unparalleled run. Mm -hmm. I believe it's also the year. It's not on my list, but if I wanted to, I believe Goodbye Yellow Brick Road is nineteen seventy four. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it is. Yeah. So, so the in addition to music, Stevie Wonder would be my music. You mentioned Young uh, Frankenstein yes. as the movie came out that year. And the reason that I did not pick it was because the because Mel Brooks actually directed two films that year, and the other one is Blazing Saddles. Yeah, I, and, young, which is, I saw Young Frankenstein in the theater. I didn't see Blazing Saddles two years later. So, but like for those two movies to come out from the same director in the same year yeah. is just phenomenal. Um, the other things that are are relevant to me personally are, um, and also I th I'd say super culturally relevant is. Um, the movies Godfather 2 was released in 74, the year I was born, as well as the movie Chinatown. Um, most people like Godfather 2. And I shouldn't say most people. I, I, I've not done a survey. Many people like Godfather 2 better than Godfather 1. I prefer Godfather 1. They're both phenomenal movies. And all of Roman Polanski's problems aside, Chinatown is a perfect film. I love Chinatown as a student of film. It is a perfect movie that I will maintain that. The only thing that comes close, who's who framed Roger Rabbit, which is the same story. LA Confidential. <laughs> also the same story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like. <laughs> it's modern film noir. Yes, I. Yes, I, it's it like like LA Confidential is so good. Like it just no, is. No, they're the same movie. I, I, but, yeah. but for me, the original China, Chinatown is such a perfect film to me. I love every second of that movie. And then the, you know, on a personal level, and I think this is culturally relevant because it was written in 73. It was not published till 75. So I presume she was trying to get it published in 1974. Laura Mulvey's Visual Pleasures and, uh, and Narrative Cinema, the most important essay of my career, came, came out that year. It's, it's the essay that defines the, the male gaze. So that's like a scholarly work, which I don't think has the pop culture relevance because, you know, yeah. academia never does. But I believe the term and the concepts that she sort of introduces in it 
like I think regular people use the term male gaze enough now that like this is where that starts, right? So like I, I take that. And since Wayne already mentioned it, on August 9th, 1974, Richard Nixon resigns the office of presidency in the wake of the Watergate scandal. So the president when I was born was Richard Nixon. And then eight days later, he resigned. You're welcome. I, it was all Thank in you. my efforts. I, I was the one who yeah. <laughs> I worked tirelessly for those first eight days of my life to get Nixon out of office. And, and it's kind of weird because I, I remember t- I was talking about this with my mom at one point. We're not, she was like, we were, I don't remember what we were talking about, presidents. And she was like, well, the president when you were born was Gerald Ford. And I was like, no, he wasn't. She's was like, yes, of course he was. And I was like, no, president when I was born was Richard Nixon. She's like, you didn't live. She's, and my mom. Of course, she's like, I would remember she because she's like, I was pregnant with you. Of course, I she knows that and I was like, and I was born on August 1st and Nixon resigned on August 9th. So I actually did live to see the Nixon presidency. Kind of <laughs> I have many memories how, of it, I'm sure. How lucky. <laughs> yes. Yay. <laughs> and, it, and just kept going uphill from there. And, and that was you know, that was that whole era was just my first political awareness. So that, that didn't have an impact on the way I view politics at all. So, okay, I'm early 90s. What was going on in the early 90s? Well, apparently, even though like the origin of like the Internet is like 1989, mm-hmm. I have learned that actually like the World Wide Web like was conceived in the 90s and like the first Virtually. like mm-hmm. website was mm-hmm. in 1991. So like, you know, the Internet. It, it happened. What do we do without the internet nowadays? The show wouldn't exist without no, the internet. Show. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, thanks. Yes, it was me. Thanks for inventing the internet um, when you were the year you were born. Yeah. Also, you early 90s. Yeah. <laughs> also, early 90s, Jurassic Park. Yeah. Which, you yeah, know, I so. we, like, and, I, and by that, I mean the book was published in 1990 and then the movie came out in 1993, but like, the book, like, becomes more relevant every year. And I know we did a show on it and it's whatever, but like, you know, so important. And then in 1991, Disney released The Beauty and the Beast, which like, of course, like loads of people love. And there was like the remake that did well in 2017, I think. And, you know, like there's a musical and like all the like the Disney merchandise and so on and so forth. But it also is notable because it was the first time an animated film was not only nominated for best like like you know like there's the best animated category now but it was nominated for best picture period and mm-hmm. this was not when like there were 10 in the category there was five and like it lost to the silence of the lambs because like the silence that of was the a lambs. Rough. okay 1991 is one of the is one of the it is a murderer's row of film the oscars for the year that hannah's talking about for 91 are it's it best picture was the silence 90, of the lambs sorry, sorry that's, 90, and the that's, beast. that's 90 yeah yeah that was yeah, 90 the, i went the wrong way <laughs> yeah silence of the lambs beauty and the beast bugsy jfk the prince of tides and also like mm. Terminator 2, not for best picture, but like also came out mm-hmm. to like qualify for like best sound effects. Mm-hmm. 1991 was a big year for film and it's solidly like the Disney renaissance, like, you know, began with like Little Mermaid, but then like continued on with films like Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and stuff that's still mm-hmm. and The Lion King and, you know, things that like are still well loved today to the point that Disney is remaking weaker and weaker versions of them. Mm-hmm. Although I like The Little Mermaid, The Lion King, and Beauty and the Beast, I could do without the the, the remix. <laughs> the remix, to be clear, Cinderella, 
Yeah. Cinderella and the Little Mermaid are the only good Disney princess remakes. Don't at me. Okay. 93, 93 is the year from Schindler's Schindler's List, Fugitive, Name of the Father, which didn't care, but the piano came out that year. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, they're both. The 90s were, yeah. the early 90s were an amazing time for film. Yeah. LA Confidential. We're going a little bit forward in time. I mean, that's closer to like the later 90s, but you know, it, it lost to Titanic. Like, like the 90s were just a great time for film, really. Like, mm-hmm. w- wonderful. The, the 90s, you know, 90s kid. What can I say? <laughs> LA so, Confidential is not until 97, but again, still yeah. same, same era, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wayne, it's your turn. Okay. So historically, I was born on. So, Kennedy is sworn in. Anyway, it's, yes. Okay. <laughs> so, one. President. Uh, a couple weeks later, he gives worse televised president. Four months later, the Bay of Pigs happens. You're breaking up again. You're breaking up again. Oh. You're, it's weird. Like you were fine till just now. Yeah. Okay. Like I think he said JFK is president, but I missed it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How am I now? You're good now. Okay, that. Yeah, you're fine. All right. Yes. Kennedy was was sworn in as president in January '61. This is before I was born. But, um, uh, a couple weeks later, he gave one of the first televised presidential speeches. Uh, a couple months later, Bay of Pigs happened. So, so that was a really big deal. early in his career. Listen, yeah, yeah, really early in his career. So those are like some of the biggest historical events. Kendall was introduced in '91, one year I was born. So there was a movie that came out: West Side Story, Breakfast at Tiffany's, and an mm-hmm. Navarone, 101 Dalmatians which is the first of these ones I just listed that I got to see re-released six, seven years later. You know what? 101 Dalmatians is one of the first movies I remember seeing too because of a re-release. Yeah, I saw it in the theater on a re-release. Books that year, Catch-22, James and the Giant Peach, Mindline Stranger in a Strange Land, Phantom Tollbooth. Aww. 61. I love the Phantom yeah. Tollbooth. Yeah. Eagles performed really early in their career, or like just uh, at the Cavern Club in in Liverpool. They've been playing in Hamburg, but this is really where they kind of launched being the Beatles in mm-hmm. Britain. And just, I mean, that that year, I mean, not only the Beatles, but that whole the British invasion was was brewing at that point. That that early sixties, that transition right. from like the nineteen fifties style of music to what became the British invasion and folk explosion of the mid sixties, which turned into the hippies, et cetera, et cetera. I mean that that whole transition. And I guess mm-hmm. the big thing in terms of personal life, but as well as in terms of a pop culture phenomena, Fantastic Four number one in the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics. <laughs> Before you're born, right? Uh, right after. Like hit the newsstands. Right after. Right after. Okay. Yeah. I knew it was like right around, yeah, yeah, right around your life. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm the back release date of Fantastic Four one is debatable. I've heard August. I've heard November. I was born in June. So within six months. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, in, in terms of major pop cultural influence, I'd say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, yeah. As again, it would fast forward, you know, well, I, sixty. The defining portion of how film works now. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think my birth partially inspired Stan and Jack and Steve to give me something to waste <laughs> my life with. So hey, I'm I'm taking credit for Watergate ending Nixon. So yeah. sure, yeah, I'll, I'll take I'll take credit for the the birth of the Marvel Age of Comics. You know, honestly, I don't know if I want credit for the internet. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no! So. That's interesting. So I wonder if this was interesting to anybody else. It was for me because I, I think what's fascinating to about it for me is 
how much of the stuff sort of transfers both forward and backward. Like, you know, like for Wayne to mention a book and then Hannah to be like, I love that book from, you know, 20 years before I was born. Yeah. You know, that, like that. Well, like, yeah. I mean, like James the Giant Peach, like that became a classic stop motion animation film from like when I was a child in 1996. Yeah, I, remember, I, I, re- I remember watching it. And the music stuff, the way that stuff comes and goes. Queen, Queen's Night at the Opera and, and Bohemian Rhapsody wasn't any of the years we were talking about, but that was a huge song for me in years. And I was talking about it with my friend Cheryl and Steve. And Cheryl says, that was one of my favorite songs from the teen years, which, you know, she discovered it from Wayne's World. Wayne's World. But that song I mean, was huge for her as a teen, just like it was for me. Just the first of it came from a very different place. I found that me, kind of fascinating. Oh, me too. But you want to know where I heard it? Yeah. Where? You're going to you're going to hate it. Glee. Ah, I heard it yeah, from Glee. Yeah, no. And I'm very much the cover cool music wherever you discover it. Alan, you know, that that's great. And the fact <laughs> that it is something like that has that kind of lasting impact. There, there's so much lost material. You know, I say whoever this guy was, who was Times Man of the Year in 1973 that nobody remembers, you know, songs that were huge, you know, the one hit wonders, but songs that were huge that nobody remembers. I, I was looking at this, you know, a book I read in the 70s. There was a movie made in 75. It was a New York Times best-selling book called The Reincarnation of Peter Proud. Yeah, who else has read that or heard of it? You know, things that are huge in their moment have no gain power whatsoever. John Soraka was was Times Man of the Year for 1973. That makes sense. I so, do? so. Yeah. Okay, so he that's the here's name why he yes. um yeah, yeah John Soraka he is his name is kind of lost he I know who he is because I'm a nerd right yeah. he is he is the judge who ordered Nixon to turn over okay. the Watergate tapes. okay all right that makes sense so like he is not really relevant other than the fact that he happens to be the dude but he's the guy that caused water I mean okay. I would argue you could just as easily have said you know deep throat yeah or you know or or like like many people were responsible for watergate you could just as easily have said nixon but nixon had been per- person of the year twice in yeah. 71 and 72 so i get it but yeah this was like the fact that soraka was the guy who said no you okay and this is relevant till today no, being the president does not give you universal immunity to do whatever the fuck you want. Turn over the damn tapes. Mm-hmm. That's what that's who Soraka is. Okay. And so like he's, he's like he's like a district judge. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So he's so he's a guy who's famous. Like, I know him because he's a person who's famous for exactly one thing. Yeah. What else did he do in his life? I have not a clue. Right. Don't even know if he's alive or dead. I imagine he's dead by now. Yeah. But who knows? I, I, as an exercise, like doing this with your students and you know, for our listeners that have made it this far, thinking about this stuff with your mm-hmm. own life, like what what was around? What did you take for granted that, that has had lasting impact on you, but also on, on society in general? Like what are stuck around? What hasn't? What do we learn from those things? I, that's it's an interesting mm-hmm. it's an interesting exercise. Yeah. Was there anything? So for me, it was easy because for me, I knew like when. So I was twelve when the Challenger exploded, and we pretty much knew it was a big deal, yeah, right? Like, right. like you know, like like I mean, this was different very much. So we talked about, for instance, I'm also twelve when Watchmen happens, right? And that's exciting for me because I'm a comic book nerd, right? So like, sure. But like, I don't realize at the time that it's going to literally change the world. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Challenger exploded 
And I mean, in January, everybody's watching on TV and it's one of those, you know, Kennedy get shot kind of moment. Yeah. Oh, shit. Well, this changes everything or 9-11 style moment. Yeah. Right. In 1961, if you would ask somebody 60 years from now, are people going to be talking about the Bay of Pigs or Stan Lee? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. So, but yeah, I, I do find it fascinating when when something like that happens. So and were there any for you where you're like, oh, this is big. Um, I mean, it was a few years before I was 12, but 9-11. Yeah. And I think I like grew up in the age where like every presidential election was like presented yeah. on the like <laughs> the last one. <laughs> as like life or death, you know? I just remember like feeling like my soul was on the line, you know, mm-hmm. like every time we were like I remember bringing home like stuff to color in the states, you know, as they turned red or blue. And you know, like a presidential election like didn't fall like exactly when I was 12, but like it, it just it felt like, oh my God, everything's changing, everything's up in the air. What about the Supreme Court justice? And of course, now it like really feels, yeah, that like, hasn't changed like, <laughs> That's like a, normal for you, like goodness, heart attack. But I think you know, some of the things that like defined like the odds, um, kind of came later, like mm. the recession that you know that like the housing crisis like that you know i was i did i I was fortunate to not graduate into the you know the 2007 that totally like shaped people's lives like like the whole trajectory of their lives and of course that resonated in pop culture what happened in 2003 the iraq war started in 2003 and that was a big deal because Mm -hmm. i like i mean in general like i I mean like Mm -hmm. i think that in some ways we've been at war in one way or another my entire life basically and this was a very different war i would agree yeah yeah. and also it was like it it, and like afghan like the invasion into afghanistan were the first times where i expressed my pacifist points of view and people were horrified that i didn't want a war so once again, like I think of being like 12 years old was around the age where I started like, really starting to like form my own political opinions, like outside of what had been, you know, told to me by like just everything around me, including like cable news channels and like, really thinking critically about it. And mm-hmm. then like expressing my opinions and asking questions. And my parents are great people who like appreciate their kids asking questions and like wanted to like drive our curiosity because you know they did things like when i was three and requested a periodic table they bought me the periodic table what was i going to do with it i don't know but i wanted it so like they always you know encouraged me to ask questions but like a lot of the world around me was like what do you mean you're a pacifist and you want peace like this is about patriotism this is about america and it was like very benedict anderson's imagined communities um in the sense that benedict anderson says that we imagine ourselves as like a nation and like in imagine ourselves as part of this like greater community like people are willing to like die for like the patriotism and the nationalism of that community and that's when like nationalism becomes like super dangerous so i wasn't thinking about that when i was 12 but <laughs> but you are now so spoilers yeah. so here here's what we resolve i was gonna say we've resolved nothing but what we've resolved is if you're one of my students in my pop culture class currently spoilers for what you're going to learn to do this semester <laughs> 
Because <laughs> this yeah, whole episode was basically yeah. Did we no, actually I mean, make your point for you? Like all yeah. of us? Oh, it's. I mean, it's why I think this is a fascinating exercise. The reason I picked twelve originally, my thought was, well, you know, we and we've talked about this on the show before. Around twelve is where you start solidifying tastes that are separate than your parents. And by the taste, I mean things like music, right? Like when you're 10, you listen to whatever your parents put on the radio. But I mean, you probably have some autonomy, but there's a, but they exercise a lot more control over what you watch on the radio or on TV or even what movies you go to. Whereas around 12, you start leading your own life that is very separate from 12, them. And you I discover that that, my band, my band. Yeah, right. And I think that allows you the the freedom to develop taste. And I think that's why the music of our youth is so important to all of us. Right. But I also think that, and Hannah was just making this point. I think it ends up ultimately going farther than just what music or what movies do I like because of exactly what Hannah just said. You can develop a political opinion at 12. That is maybe not all of us, but it starts to be a political opinion of your own. That is maybe not just, well, my parents are Democrats, so I'm a Democrat or my parents are Republican. So I'm a Republican, which is what I think happens for younger people. You know, you start you might start questioning your religion. You might start questioning your politics. You might start questioning. And I think all of that's good. So that's sort of the point of the exercise. And pop culture can influence that. Like, I think I've, mm-hmm. I've probably told this story before, but I read these books called The Royal Diaries, which I now think are mostly out of print. And one of them featured the princess, like the last like princess of Hawaii. And it like talked about like U.S. colonization in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And I like just like was like faced with like, you know, the horrors of like colonization, like from a like really stark point of view, even though it was like a, you know, a young adult, like children's book. And that is like what started my like opinion about the evils of like colonialism and like why like we need to face our history and invasion and occupation of another country is bad, you know, like, like, Things that maybe seem like unimportant at first, like really like might make you think or challenge your perspective. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah. Like, I hope it was fun for the listener. It was, it was fun for us. Yeah. I was just saying, I got to talk about Jurassic Park again. Yeah. I mean, I always feel a little weird because sometimes I feel like, oh, well, we should have a well-researched show that is, you know, that, that shows our skills as scholars and stuff. But also for sometimes the show is just more fun for me when I just get to talk to my friends about like the geeky, weird stuff that we enjoy. So yeah. thank you guys. Yeah. So. Yeah. We resolve nothing. No, we've resolved nothing. We've resolved all that stuff we just we, talked we, about. We've resolved <laughs> that Hannah's responsible for the internet. I uh, yeah. ended the Nixon presidency. I brought about the Marvel Age of Comics. Created superheroes. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, so if you, that's a thing that you got, that you can cite, kids, at home. If you're working on a paper, <laughs> according to <laughs> according to the internet, uh, the internet was invented by Hannah Lee Rogers at age zero. <laughs> okay, so anyway, we're being silly now. Anyway, I guess we're done. We'll wrap it up there. Hannah, is there anything you want to plug? Oh, go ahead. I was just thinking we went from being like so classy with your fancy calling neck. I didn't even know existed to this. So I think that winter is cold and sad. So you can make it warm and fuzzy by considering giving to your local food bank. So that, you know, I'm plugging giving to your local food bank through either time or money. When you started with winter is, I assumed coming was there and there was like a whole Game no. of Thrones thing going. I was like, no, where's winter this going to go? <laughs> winter is here. Winter is sad. Yeah. Winter is cold. My garden is suffering. Mm-hmm. Wayne? 
Yeah. Pass. Yeah, <laughs> Hannah's Garden is suffering. That's yeah. <laughs> Wayne is backing up the suffering of Hannah's Garden. <laughs> uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Blue Sky, Threads when I remember it's out there, Mastodon, which I never remember is out there. All the places always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show. Let's see. We have right now a Facebook, a Twitter, and a Blue Sky. We're at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about in the next week or in the next couple of weeks. And we've got an interesting post up there right now by Wayne about kaiju. You have theories and feelings about giant monsters? You should go to check out the blog and give us your thoughts so that we can respond to them on the show when we record that episode if you enjoy the show and we certainly hope you do then please subscribe to us on itunes or spotify or pandora or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor leave us a five-star review that really helps us out especially if you don't just leave a five-star rating but if you write a review or you write a little something about how much you love the show that gooses the algorithm makes us more popular and makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside i would like to thank maximilian of thought bar music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and planned us out. I'd once again like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye. Bye.